This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stefan Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. Okay. Annie, before we even start... I'm going to go ahead and ask a big question because I know we've talked about our religious experiences before, um, but just kind of a reminder so we can kind of uh, get on the same page before we start these episodes. And I said multiple, by the way. Um, Mm -hmm. Were you super religious growing up? I went through, I would say, a two-year phase where I was very, very religious, like donated my allowance money to the church I was thinking about this because we have been planning these episodes for a while. Uh, and here they are, perfect timing. <laughs> and they are, they are uh, a couple of them coming. But I was thinking about like why, why that is. And I think it's because I got kind of called out and embarrassed in front of all my classmates when I was younger because I didn't know what Christianity was. Wow. I, I, like I went to church. I think I just didn't put together... So somebody asked me if I was Christian and I like froze up in front of everybody and I, I was like, oh, I don't know. And then that was such a sin mm. in small town Georgia. Right. Like, oh God, she's not a Christian. <laughs> so it was around that time I really became very, very religious. I volunteered. I gave all my money. I went to all the classes. But I think it only lasted two years. I I did go until about eighth grade, I went to church. But then in eighth grade, I stopped going and never really went back. Okay, okay. <laughs> and we'll talk about so, that more Yeah, later. we will. But um, your family wasn't religious either, right? Not really. They became more religious after I moved out, actually, oh, really? and as they got older. But as kids, I think we weren't super interested in it. And it was just kind of a time suck for them. <laughs> And I know how this sounds, but I think honestly, I think they were just kind of tired and we weren't into it. So they're like, you know what? We did the thing. Right. (laughs) Let's just stop now. So we stopped going to church regularly when I was in middle school. 
Yeah. Okay. Did you, were you uh, the holiday church types? Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. We, went, we went in the holidays and I was in a couple of the holiday plays. Oh, of yes. course. Of course. Yes. But that was more my excitement about like wearing pajamas and getting to act than anything else. <laughs> That's fair. That yeah. is fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I grew up, as we've talked about before, in a very super religious family. They're still very, very religious to the point that from my beginning in the in the United States. In Korea, I did have missionaries visit my orphanage. I remember this distinctly. So uh, westernized Christianity was a part of my past. So I have memories of that. And I remember these Christian people coming with guitars and singing to us. I remember this very clearly. But they were Asian. Mm-hmm. They were not uh, from a different country. But of course, you know, that's a whole other thing. But I yeah. also remember doing Buddhist practices and ancestral practices because uh, we would def- definitely do the whole respect of the uh, elders, bowing to the elders, uh, making sure that we were doing all these things. So I remember these things pretty clearly from my time as an adolescent. So I came here when I was seven-ish to the U.S. After that, I became a staunch Christian. And I, I, I hesitate to say the word Christian because even at that point in time, at the church that I had gone to, they do not think theology And getting education like that is beneficial and that they believe that to do this, to learn too much, takes away from the faith part. Um, It was not Holy Spirit. It was Holy Ghost. Uh, They did communion with wine that they made themselves. They made unleavened bread themselves. There was foot washing every year, a revival every year. If you were a pastor, it was because you were called to be. Like you literally had the spirit move in you and you were told by Jesus that you were to speak the word of God. It was the ultimate gift. It wasn't because you went to get an education for it. That was almost blasphemous according to what I was raised by. They don't like other denominations and that includes Methodists. That includes the Southern Baptist. Uh, definitely no Catholics. Uh, it is a whole different world. I don't even really know what the denomination that I grew up in was. I've heard a primitive Baptist as part of it. I've also heard the term, and this could be just like a, a, a nickname for it, foot-washing Baptist. Um, we were not quite... Pentecostals, and when I say Pentecostal, I mean I mean the kind that believe in tongues um, and all that. We did have pianos, so they did believe in instruments and and, and music like that. Because you know, several churches that I knew in the, my small town did not have instruments. They thought that was blasphemous as well. Whole different thing. So I'll talk <laughs> a little more about that experience. But that's what I grew up in. So be believing in God and Jesus was a no-brainer. Like I was told the reason I was in the U.S., the reason I was alive point blank was because I was saved by Jesus and God. And so therefore, my life is dedicated to that purpose. So growing up, that's exactly what I believed. I believed that I was supposed to be a missionary. In the freshman year of college, I actually took off for a full year to go work in Oklahoma at a group home who actually specializes with uh, Native and Indigenous people. And I'm sorry to that community. <laughs> I, I knew what I knew now. Everything I did was with good intent. And I believe that for most people who are uh, Christians and who do believe in this idea of missionary and saving people, like that's that's the idea. So I, I, don't, I can't get mad at that. But... Looking back at it now, I was like, oh, man, that's really damaging. And I really regret that Mm. part of my life. So 
I did all of this. And it wasn't until I left college and kind of worked in the real world. And then my own personality did not mesh with what the church, what I was told by the church, and I'm saying capital C church, and that's how we're probably going to be talking about it throughout this episode. That's like, until I walked away that I was like, this doesn't, this doesn't work. This is not, this doesn't make sense. And then, of course, I think we're going to talk more about the fact that this is more common, even though it feels so isolating when you go through these things. But yeah, I had that moment, and I can tell you almost exactly when. Like, I can remember what, like, what was happening and things that were happening, and as it was unraveling for me, essentially, of what that looked like. But... I still have small faith in things. I don't know, I couldn't call it necessarily Christianity and God and all of that, but there is a bit of me that still believes in, not necessarily, we're not going to talk about manifest destiny, but along the lines of like, it's not always just coincidence. Again, I don't know what that looks like to me Mm. necessarily. Mm. And it's hard to let go of. Like Like when I get into a situation, I automatically, like it doesn't necessarily go into prayer, but it's kind of that level of meditation of like, please help me, please help me, don't let me die type of conversations right. in my head, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a whole thing. Um, and of course, these conversations like this, you've had, you and I have had this so many times. I think I have it with all of my friends. We just have a whole breakdown of this conversation is why we're talking about this today. There is a point, I swear to God. Um, <laughs> and yeah, we're going on this journey on this Good Friday yes. <laughs> to celebrate. It is uh, <laughs> April 7th, 2023, Good Friday of 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about, I guess, westernized Christianity and the marginalized people. And it, it is more than one episode because there's a lot to it. Oh, and before we start, I probably should have said, because for some of y'all, that my comments were probably traumatizing, and I'm so sorry. Content warning. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> we are going to be exploring Western Christianity. And I say Western Christianity, obviously we're focusing more on what is happening in the United States, in America, um, and those who have these types of Christian beliefs here, uh, which are which are different, obviously. And we want to talk about how this has caused trauma for a lot, for women and for the marginalized community as a whole. Yeah. And like I said, like we said, we've been dancing around this topic. But y'all, this research, we've been working on this, what, for three months? Uh, And our contributor, Joey, thank you so much, Joey, has done so much research for, for us. Literally found probably what? 75 different references and then more on top of that as we went along um, trying to pull out as much information as we can. (sighs) There's articles upon articles um, and trying to narrow down the information itself was hard. And of course, there's lots and lots of opinions on the matter. And we're trying to not be so opinionated as much as we are looking at the statistics. It's kind of hard because yes, it is personal for us. I guess that's the other. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Warning for for it. And again, yes, we're talking about religion, trauma. Um, As a side note, we want to say right at the beginning, we're not trying to disparage or say that religion and spirituality is wrong in any way. Like I said, I still believe I am spiritual. There are things that I I will still, it's hard for me to get away from. Um, And faith is powerful. And being connected to spirituality can be powerful um, and can be really life-saving. I really think that. I think part of what I went through growing up, if it had not been for 
the faith, the practices that I went through, I would have been in much more um, dire situations. I will say that. And what we're talking about specifically, I guess we're building up to and having a conversation of what is happening in the U.S. today, what it looks like when we talk about the movement of deconstruction. We're going to explain what that is in a little bit and then talk about it more in another episode, as well as uh, how our country looks like it's going towards a Christian nationalist government. Um, and, and we want to talk about why this should be a cautionary tale for us <laughs> and that we need to be aware and educated on that subject. Oh. So with all of that, let's begin. Yes, let us do it. And let us start with an overview and history of Western religion. Because as you said, yes, we're going to be focusing more so on westernized Christianity and the evolution of what it is today and how that affects the marginalized communities. So we aren't necessarily doing a Bible lesson, which I did go to, uh, those Bible lessons. <laughs> there you go. I taught those. How about that? <laughs> did you really? <laughs> yes, I did. You're, you're going to one-up me throughout this, I feel. <laughs> um, <laughs> we are not talking theology, although theology does play a lot into today's societal views on gender and morality roles, um, which we do talk about throughout these episodes. We have several episodes related to this where we've yeah. talked about it as well. But let us start with some facts and statistics. So uh, religion is a large part of humanity. It shapes beliefs, it shapes values, it shapes behaviors. It plays a crucial role in developing an individual's perspectives towards life, society, and the world around them. However, studies suggest that there are significant gender differences in religious beliefs and practices. So for example, American women are more likely than men to say that religion is, quote, very important in their lives. Um, According to a survey conducted by Pew Research Center, 60% of women in the U.S. say that religion is very important to them compared to 47% of men. Right. Um, And the number is actually higher than that. Again, so some of these uh, research surveys uh, came from 2016, 2018, 2020. So we're trying to pick from each one. This is one of the bigger ones that happened, I believe, in 2018. And it was saying that 60% says it's highly, very important. There is also, I think, another like 20%, so you're going to say 80% of women in that point time frame would say it was moderately important. So it's mm. pretty high. The numbers are high. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the same lines, uh, American women are more likely to pray daily than American men. In that same survey, it showed that 64% of women in the U.S. pray daily versus the 47% of men. And American women are also more likely to attend religious services, with around 40% of women in the U.S. attending weekly, uh, while only 32% of men attend. And whew, if we take the numbers down by race, the studies show that the Black community are more likely to pray daily with 47%, followed by the Latino community uh, at 39%. And the Black and Latino communities are also more likely to attend a religious service on a daily basis, though I had to recheck that number. I was like, daily? Wow. Okay, daily. Wow. But for the weekly basis, uh, the Latino community comes first with 17% likely to attend, while the white community comes at 16%, the Asian community at 14%, and the black community at 13%. So these numbers are kind of varied. Um, But it's also noted in the Gallup poll from 2017 that the black community are most likely to identify as religious with more than 82% on that poll. Wow. Yeah.
This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. And uh, within the queer community, religion is still important. Uh, I was thinking about this the other day with our book, Untamed, with Glennon Doyle. There was that whole passage about that. Um, Almost half of the queer population that was surveyed for the Gallup poll showed that religion still is considered a big part of their lives, uh, that many still believe in God, many still attend religious services and pray regularly. The survey showed at least 47% as moderately or highly religious, while 53% stated that they were not. However, those numbers have changed based on age and generation, with only 34% uh, of the 18 to 24-year-olds being for it, versus 56% for 50 to 64-year-olds. So that's a pretty big difference. And within those statistics, the most religious in the queer community was the Black community, who for over 70% of those surveyed said that, yes, religious, but uh, that is 12% less than the general population. Um, And we will get into that a bit more later, but yes, the numbers seem to be going down. um, And as the current state of affairs have brought about the same significant and dangerous changes within the community, many continue to leave their religious ideology and the biases shown against the LGBTQ plus community hasn't just influenced the queer community, but those who would consider themselves as allies, for sure. And outside of the U.S., there are similar studies suggesting the same thing. A study in Europe showed that women were also more likely to pray, attend services, and believe in God uh, as compared to men. And similar studies showed the same thing for women in the Middle East and South Asia, too. Right. So the overall history of religion is complicated. Um, We know this. Christianity was often an an excuse of colonialization all over the world uh, with an intent to conquer and rule. Uh, And the spread of Christianity was quick and widespread. Uh, Today, the topic of colonization and religion is a hot, controversial issue, Mm -hmm. often causing defensiveness and disagreements. And it's still an issue when we talk about missionaries uh, and current state of churches sending out people out in the world. But before we go there, uh, we do want to talk about, is there a reason 
why the marginalized community, specifically women, are more likely to be religious. And to be honest, the answer is not not really. <laughs> but there are some possible theories uh, based on some of the research and surveys. In a 2016 Pew Research study titled The Gender Gap in Religion Around the World, uh, they write... Based on these wide-ranging and comprehensive data sets, so we just kind of talked about that, this study finds that globally, women are more devout than men by several standard measures of religious commitment. But the study also reveals a more complex relationship between religion and gender than has been commonly assumed. While women generally are more religious, men display higher levels of religious commitment in some countries and religious groups. So just to kind of add some more context, we're not talking much about uh, the Muslim community. We're not talking about uh, the Jewish community as much, uh, which we should. We will try to come back to, but we're not necessarily focusing on that. But what we do see in that, as well as Buddhism, there is a higher number of men committed to those types of religions. So that's what we're talking about here. And in other contexts, there are few, if any, discernible gender differences in religion. So just a reminder. Yes. And something to note from the same 2016 Pew Research on the gender gap of religiousness, U.S. Christians differ from other countries. Um, So here's a quote from the report. Men and women in the United States differ from each other in their levels of religious commitment to a greater extent than men and women differ in other economically advanced countries for which data are available, including Canada and the United Kingdom. While American men generally display less religious commitment than American women, both genders are more religious than men and women in other economically advanced countries. And with that information, the same report shows the variation around the world. Um, It goes on to say... The gender gap among Christians, as well as some gender differences in other faith traditions, vary in size in different regions of the world. This suggests that while gender differences in religious commitment may be driven in part by the teachings of a particular religion, they also may reflect national habits or cultural views intrinsic to a particular part of the world. Right. So in that research, uh, they suggest that socioeconomic status, as well as working a job outside the home, could play a factor. Um, Here's an interesting quote from that article. Women who participate in a labor force tend to show lower levels of religious commitment than women who do not work outside of the home for pay. As a result, when these two groups of women are compared with men, most of whom are in the labor force, the gender gaps differ. Indeed, Pew Research Center's analysis finds the gap between women who are in the labor force and men tend to be smaller than the gap between women who are not in the labor force and men. This pattern holds even after accounting for other factors that are also associated with religious commitment, such as education level, age, and marital status. Moreover, further analysis show that across predominantly Christian countries, the overall gender gaps in daily prayer and importance of religion are smaller in countries where more women are in the labor force. Which makes us wonder if perhaps this is a link between the oppressive system that uses religion, specifically a patriarchal ideology, to keep control and supremacy, you know, by taking away financial independence. (laughs) But we'll talk a bit more about that later. (laughs) In another Pew article, they interviewed a demographer and sociologist from the University College London, David Voas, I hope I'm not butchering that, um, on the gender gap. And his opinion Uh, is maybe that it's just, quote, biological basis. And here is a full quote from the interview. Personally, I'm tempted to give the classic academic response that more research is needed. At the risk of seeming wishy-washy, I suspect that nature and nurture both play a part. 
Boys and girls are socialized differently and men and women are still channeled into different roles. When we look at the psychology of individual differences, though, particularly in personality, it's not easy to attribute gender gaps in their entirety to social forces. And then he goes on to explain, I'm not an expert in genetics, but there appears to be some fairly compelling evidence, for example, from studies of twins, that genes do affect our disposition to be religious. And if that's the case, it's at least plausible that the gender gap in religiosity is partly a matter of biology. If true, though, I doubt that it's because there's a God gene and women are more likely to have it than men. It seems easier to believe that physiological or hormonal differences could influence personality, which may in turn be linked to variations in spirituality, or religious thinking. Yes. He had a whole lot of opinions. But again, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, we're going to talk about this, but like, they don't do... It's hard to research these things, these things I think. Yeah. It's kind of how true. we talked about other like metaphysical type of, type of uh, conversations. It's harder to get the, you know, whys. Mm-hmm. In an article written by Dr. Angela Batone, I think that's right, I'm so sorry, for the Iona Institute, uh, Dr. Batone writes... Scholars agree that the religious gender gap is due to a confluence of multiple factors, psychology, family, environment, social status, workforce participation, etc. But there is no consensus on exactly which factors are more responsible for gender differences. So there's a lot. There's a lot. We don't know why. There may be many things. It may be all about faith. It may be a coincidence. Again, like me believing what I believed was partly due to my circumstances Mm -hmm. and being taught that. So Mm -hmm. the teachings of a particular creed might make it more appealing to a woman rather than men, but local traditions and habits also play a role. That means that even within the same tradition, Christianity, for instance, there are significant differences in different parts of the world. Which, yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Because, yeah, Christianity looks different everywhere. I will say again, what I remember in Korea, there was a mixture of Buddhism with Christianity. And that's how I learned Mm -hmm. it, which is something that has been charted as they continue to serve a different countries. Again, there's differences, so we're not going to get a full picture. All of these conversations are continued and will continue and probably will change, obviously, uh, as we continue in time. And the information is still not conclusive, honestly. Nope. And uh, like our past Monday mini on women and superstition, there does seem to be a more likely correlation of women and spirituality, whether it's a level of intuition or protection. But once again, always worth remembering, uh, data is typically sexist um, with most of the information coming from a very cis heteronormative middle class group and how limited information can be when access is also limited. It's just Worth remembering. <laughs> Shall <laughs> we'll we say? To, we'll, we'll probably put that in between a lot of the things we say. Yeah. Because, yes, uh, especially because as time changes, uh, mm-hmm. circumstances change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. 
Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. So, all right, we've talked about statistics. We've talked about some theories of the gender gap in religion. But let's talk specifically about women in the capital C church. And here we are talking about, yes, that one, the capital C church as an institution. And we are looking specifically, as you said, at the United States as it pertains to Christianity. Right. So, uh, the spread of Christianity is fairly dark. Unlike the stories I was told growing up, once again, it's very much framed into we're saving people. And who doesn't want to save people? Like if right. I, if as a child, would I want you to go to hell? No. So I'm going to do right. my best to get you to heaven because that's what I mm-hmm. want for you. Uh, but conquering and converting were two goals of the Eurocentric governments. Um, as we talked about in our past book club uh, about the Haudenosaunee Nation, the First Nations had a more egalitarian system that was created through the matriarchal line. But once uh, colonization began, the Protestant ideals, which are set up through the patriarch, of the father and the son, quickly took over. Uh, as Catherine Breckus uh, explains in her research titled Women and Religion in Colonial North America and the United States, from the 17th century until the present, women in, this, in these religious traditions have differed in terms of their beliefs and practices, with the exception of Native Americans, who seem to have enjoyed relatively egalitarian gender roles before the European conquest. Women have shared similar experiences of subordination because of their gender. Once again, yeah, if you go back to our book club, we talk about that pretty intrinsically. They talk about the fact that they had never known any kind of equal playing field from from jump. So seeing that was foreign to them, and that was because of the Native First Nations people showing them how it could be. Sigh. Anyway, (laughs) and she references the Hebrew Bible as to the lineage and the traditions. Uh, She writes, all of the major world religions are based on scriptural texts that reflect the male-centered worldview of the times in which they were written. In the Torah, for example... 
Uh, Genesis 2 depicts Eve being formed out of Adam's rib, which suggests that men were the norm and women secondary in creation. Most of the main characters in the Hebrew Bible are men, and the biblical story revolves around patriarchs like Abraham, Jacob, and David. According to the Halakha, or Jewish law, men and women have different religious obligations. Women must obey certain rules of modesty. And she writes of the examples within the New Testament as well. Uh, quote, the New Testament also includes texts that emphasize women's subordination to men. Based on the account in Genesis 2, many Christians have argued that Eve's decision to eat the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden brought sin and suffering into the world. According to this interpretation, God ordained women to submit to the authority of their fathers and husbands because of Eve's disobedience. Christians have also been influenced by several texts from the Apostle Paul, including 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 34 through 35. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak. And 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Throughout American history, many Christians, both Catholic and Protestant, have used these texts to argue that women cannot be ordained as priests or ministers until the passage of the 19th Amendment in 1920, which extended suffrage to women. Christians also used the Bible to argue that women should not be allowed to vote or to hold positions of political authority. And before we get too far into biblical references, it is understood that there are different beliefs and interpretations of these texts and the Bible as a whole. And many changes have happened through the history of Protestant religions with uh, different sects and denominations. Uh, same for other religions and beliefs as well. And we are going to talk about that too. But for now, we are referencing the more traditional understanding of these verses. Now, I'm not going to talk about my controversial view on Paul slash Saul, because I have a lot. Uh -huh. I have a lot. Because I often argue, and I'm so sorry to put too many beliefs, that Paul is actually outside of the Hebrew slash Old Testament. Paul's the only one who really speaks about homosexuality um, mm -hmm. and women as leaders. Like, honestly, um, when you look at the other acts, and I don't, I don't know if the people are going to come at me, if you look at the <laughs> other uh, prophets and or disciples, they talk a lot about the church as a whole, and they talk about uh, the church being women. So that is the wife. So I find that mm -hmm. interesting. Of course, they also say then that's Jesus is the husband and Jesus is the one that leads the church. So that's a whole different conversation, but women are still involved. So I have a lot of thoughts. I'm not going to put it here. Okay. But I just want that to be noted. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts. Uh, yes. <laughs> historically, <laughs> women have always outnumbered men in religious practices, and actually they've tried to change the role of women within the community, even way back when. Um, we talked about it again in our book club with the Haudenosaunee women uh, because a few of the leaders of the suffragettes were fairly anti-religious and were going against the church and really felt like that was part of the problem in taking away the rights of women. So I found that interesting. I still fascinated by that. And I think that's what we're talking about here when we see a lot of changes. Of course, we've got those who went to the extreme and we're going to talk about that right now. Uh, according to Brekkas, at one point, women were able to have a hand in influencing Christianity by arguing women were, quote, crucial guardians of religious and political virtue. Hmm. 
which still influences women, uh, women's roles within the church and Christianity today. We'll be talking a little bit more about the virtuous woman. We've already had an episode about the uh, purity movement, and we're going to come back mm-hmm. and talk about it again a little more in context of trauma. Again, mm-hmm. I know we already kind of talked about that, so y'all can go back and hear what we said on that. But this does have a big role that plays in it. But at one point, it was taken as being more more in the front line slash leadership for the church. Um, and then within these movements, uh, they helped create a, quote, cult of domesticity, which uh, was a movement that, quote, again, this is all out of her uh, research, enhanced their authority within their families. Um, And Bregas writes, before the Industrial Revolution and the growth of a consumer economy, women played a central economic role in the household. For example, spinning wool, churning butter, and sewing clothing. But as the factory rather than the home became the center of production in the late 18th and early 19th centuries, women placed a new emphasis on their role as nurturers. Instead of earning wages like men, women would provide a haven from the cold and impersonal world of the factory or the office. Again, we're seeing where these influences are coming from. And this history extends even more with uh, different interpretations and understandings of the Bible and the role of the church. And um, different discoveries have been made uh, about the history and and, and about the role of women um, as well. Many of those who identify as Christians do not agree with the old traditions of women being completely submissive to their husbands or to men at all. And feel that misinterpretation has allowed for these types of misunderstandings of the Bible. Uh, As the author of The Making of Biblical Womanhood, How the Subjugation of Women Became Gospel Truth, Beth Allison Barr, who is also a historian, a Southern Baptist, and a pastor's wife, actually told NPR this in her interview while she was publicizing this book. Uh, She said, the reason we think women cannot be in authority is simply because we've taken five or six verses from the New Testament and we've used those verses and read the entire Bible through them, through that lens. Um, And they're mostly the Pauline verses, uh, women be silent, women submit to your husbands, etc. And if we step away from those verses and actually put them in context of what Paul was doing and then put that in context of the entire Bible, What we see is that while patriarchy exists in the Bible, that God is actually always fighting against patriarchy, that he's always raising women out of it. He's always giving women authority in surprising ways, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And that if we look at the historical context of what Paul is actually doing in the New Testament, there are serious problems with reading Paul as telling women that they have to be silent and under the authority of men for all times. I feel like she agrees with me. Y'all. I think so. I think she agrees I think with me. So. Um, again, strong opinions about this. <laughs> I think we should come back. I think we should talk about it. <laughs> she continues in that same interview Conservative evangelicalism has been teaching women for so long that there is only one way to be a woman that makes us godly and that allows us to follow Jesus. And that one way is to be focused on home and family and marriage. So be free is me wanting women and men to know that the limitations we have placed on them are not God's limitations. They are limitations that we have placed on them within our own human culture. And we can see how they're constructed by human culture and that they are not of God. So be free means be free to be what God has called you to be, whatever that may be. And she's not the only one uh, to see these differences in the interpretation of the Bible. But much like anything concerning morality or who has authority and supremacy, 
These opinions are divisive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I just kind of wanted to go through some of my own experiences of what I've seen, because this is a prime example of what she is talking about, of what we were looking. The My church in itself takes out of context, and uh, people are going to argue with me, uh, what Paul has done, what Paul has said. They use that as the authority because he wrote the book of Acts. Uh, he wrote all the different disciplines and instead kind of uses that as the ultimate authority over the words of Jesus in itself, which if you ever read through, and this is when we had this joke of in the New Testament, typically in the copies that we see in the U.S., Jesus' mm-hmm. words are written red purposefully. So that's how you know. He has never at any point in time ever uh, come after people for sin, except for those who are profiting off of other people. Um, the only time you see this man angry, and I say this, <laughs> In that level, and again, I am giving a Bible lesson. I'm so sorry. Uh, he, that's the only times you see him anger. He hangs out, like we hear this often. He hangs out with prostitutes. He hangs out with women. He <laughs> hangs out with children. And I, I'm saying this in such a relevant way. <laughs> I feel like I'm teaching, God, this is already back to college. But what we see in these like very controversial comments about what we think is sin um, is literally mm-hmm. the words of Paul who never met Jesus um, and who had actually went and persecuted many of Jesus' followers beforehand, uh, literally killing people, killed many of them. Um, and, and out of the Old Testament, which is the Hebrew Bible, which was never intended 
for anyone outside of the Jewish community. Um, and even many of the people of the Jewish community would mm-hmm. say, this is not what you think it is. You are taking this out of context because Sodom and Gomorrah mm-hmm. is often referenced as, this is because they were all gay. Not true. They were actually raping and beating mm-hmm. and, you know, molesting people in that right. community. But hey, mm-hmm. we're not looking at that, are we? Because we don't mind that <laughs> <laughs> if we look at what laws were being passed. But in that level, my church heavily believed in these same theories. As a woman, you are not allowed to speak in church unless you're testifying. That means the Holy Ghost has taken over you and that's not you speaking. And y'all, I had those moments. I actually had those moments feeling like overwhelmed in joy or like mm-hmm. in a moment that like, I'm supposed to say this thing out loud. This is going to affect people. I really, there's levels of like uh, gospels and there's levels of gifts. To me, I thought I had discernment. I think I can read people. But that translated into something else spiritually for me. Um, And I got caught up in that in a long time. Um, The belief is that you have to pray for your sins. And I'm literally sitting at an altar crying until you feel okay and say, Jesus Mm -hmm. has saved you. And it is an emotion and a feeling. Um, A lot of places, a lot of uh, beliefs believe that you are not saved until you're baptized. The church I grew up in was not like that. The church I grew up in was also the type that said, once saved, always saved. So technically I'm good, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sounds like it. <laughs> Although for people like me, the, they come back with, she was never really saved. Mm. So mm-hmm. even though during that time I did these holy acts and That's why I became a social worker. That's why I took a year off to work with kids. And it wasn't that I went and just taught Bible. I literally lived with them and helped them and mentored them. That was something that was important to me, that I did something physically as well as spiritually. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I did that. Um, I traveled all over the South teaching young kids the Bible as well. Again, a lot of guilt there. But the one thing I can say is I did teach love and never taught um, hate because by the time I became a high schooler and kind of was able to make for my own opinions, what I saw with the church that I was growing up when sowed fear, um, which is that hellfire brimstone, which came way long ago. We know about this uh, in that you are all sinners until you're saved. And if you do something wrong, you are sinning against God and us. Um, and we can judge you. If a, a woman... Um, has an opinion, she has to go through the husband. Most of the meetings you can't be present, but you cannot speak. Again, you have to talk through the father or the husband. And I, I bought into this belief. I remember telling my father at one point in time when I was talking to other people who are in different uh, churches, denominations specifically, I was like, I, you know, being a woman of God meant I trust my father and we have the same opinion and that you will listen to me. Of course, that should be the way it goes. That's kind of the whole idea of democracy, that we trust the people that we're voting for to be our voices. That's that mm-hmm. ideal, except for the fact that it absolutely bans women. Um, and if you don't agree or if you're in a bad relationship, and as in fact, up until recently, they condone you staying with your husband, even if you are being abused or being hurt or being you know, neglected. The only reason, and it is actually written in the Bible, that you can technically leave a per- your husband is if he cheats on you. And even then, the woman cannot get married. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And if they believe that you are in the wrong, you have a physical membership. 
and that they will take your membership away and that they will not allow you to go to any other churches within that denomination. No shorts, no pants for women. I remember one sermon, and my parents didn't believe this, thank goodness, but one dude got up talking about how women wearing makeup were sinful because they were trying to tempt men. Mm. It was quite, and my mother, who is the Southern mother who's like never goes out without makeup, was astounded. And she was like, I do not believe that. That man is wrong. (laughs) That is the one time I've seen her disagree. Um, And up until my siblings went through some of the really messy stuff that they went through, uh, divorce was absolutely frowned upon. Mm -hmm. I will say, me living in sin with my partner, they don't talk about it. They're just really grateful that it's not... uh, (laughs) Outside of their comfort zone, outside of me living with them in sin, (laughs) essentially. So there's a lot. I am definitely haunted by some of the things that I did in the belief that I was doing something as godly or that I felt committed. I have a Bible that I still keep that is written with so much stuff. I have about four journals of my adventures on the mission trip, thinking that I, I, all my prayers, all of the things that I believe that God was telling me, there's so many things. Um, Mm -hmm. And again, I am very grateful to those experiences because I really think it kept me alive. Um, But... There are so many harmful things that actually mess with me as an adult. And it still does. It still does. And it's become a pretty big strain. So if my family members hear this, ruh uh. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> But yeah, it's, it's that, that level of understanding the Bible. And of course, for this traditionalist, it had to be King James. The first time I'd ever seen a Bible that was not King James... Uh, <laughs> was an awful man, by the way, historically, real bad, real bad, just so you know. Mm -hmm. It was sinful. They did not believe that it was good. But my parents have grown. I will say, even though they are very, very religious, they have stepped outside of those strict. I think they have lived enough and seen enough to be like, okay, okay, this is becoming a little more hateful than loving. So they have stepped away from that a little more, still far from far from what I believe and in everything I believe. So definitely and very far spectrum of my views on the world and what I think is right. And yeah, that really has put a big strain on our family. To be fair, I've never, there's always been a strain because of the trauma and the response, religious response that I got instead of therapeutic response I should have gotten. Again, my mm-hmm. parents were young. They didn't know. And they actually, you know, we've kind of talked about it and, and admitted, both of us admitted the wrongs that we committed uh, when I was young because they didn't know. They didn't know some of the things uh, that we know today. And then like the more, thank God, it's at least a more um, normalized therapy and all of that. But at one point in time, it wasn't. And they were heavy yeah. duty into prayer should fix it. There's nothing you mm-hmm. need but God, which is, again... And I'm really glad to see that they had stepped away from that and we've gone through a lot. But a lot of this really pushed me into walking away from religion altogether. Um, I remember having the conversation with my mother in the parking lot of my work, about to go in about the fact that I did not believe in God anymore and her crying and me crying and we're just sitting there in misery. I think my oh, mother dear. has purposely forgotten that conversation. 
because I didn't want to lie to her, especially every time she's like, have you been praying about it? Have you been going to church? Because I was super religious and she was very proud of me and thought that I was going to be a missionary. She didn't love it at first, but she soon like grew to love it because like people admired me for that in that community. It was it was a lot of things, but I will say like this is one of those moments that I realized this doesn't make sense. We're not going to get into that portion yet, uh, Andy. You and I are going to go deeper into that in another because we're going to talk about the whole trauma of it all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yay! Yeah. Um, but it was the point in which I walked away, and I've seen more and more people in my generation, and then the younger kids walking away too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we we have some some numbers around that. So these kind of rules and laws that you've been talking about have come at a cost for the Christian congregation. In a recent article written by Christianity Today, author Ryan P. Burge writes, as recently as last year, the religion gender gap has persisted among older Americans. Survey data from October 2021 found that among those born in 1950, about a quarter of men identified as atheist, agnostic, or nothing in particular, compared to just 20% of women of that age. That same five-point gap is evident among those born in 1960 and 1970 as well. For millennials and Generation Z, it's a different story. Among those born in 1980, the gap begins to narrow to about two percentage points. By 1990, the gap disappears. And with those born in 2000 or later, women are clearly more likely to be nuns than men. And nuns is defined as religiously unaffiliated people in the United States. Right. So when we say nuns, we're saying N-O-N-E-S, yes. not N-U-N-S. <laughs> good, good, good follow-up <laughs> clarification. Yep. Um, <laughs> and this type of change has been noticed. Some theorize because the church has been so focused on growing their male attendance, whether by offering more male leadership classes or by challenging men to become, quote, manlier. Some believe this has only pushed women further away from the church. In that same article, they write, evangelical women have long attended church at higher rates than evangelical men. But today that gap is narrowing, not because more men are coming, but because more women are leaving. Such women are increasingly likely to deconstruct their faith or identify as nuns. A rising population of the religiously disaffiliated. As Lyman Stone wrote two years ago, making your church manlier won't make it bigger. It could be a factor in making it smaller. Right. Um, Yeah. And another theory is that as more women become more educated and more likely to focus on careers, they are less likely to be involved with the church. Um, Here's another quote from that uh, same article. Education may be another significant factor. Among college-educated adults under 25, women are slightly less likely to say they have no religious affiliation compared to men. 39% of women versus 45% of men. So once again, when we talked about earlier, that job, having a check, maybe financial independence does seem to be uh, correlated. Not exactly sure why. Again, the education level. And there's that conversation. I will say the biggest fear for my parents and my family is that the kids will go to the city and get Mm -hmm. learning and educated. Mm -hmm. And that education is going to ruin and, uh, I guess, taint Mm-hmm. This this Christian morality uh, ideas. And we've seen that today as we talk about CRT and 
book banning, there is a reason for that. And again, later we'll be talking about deconstruction. We talked about it with our interview with Dara. We just said a little bit about it uh, previously, but yeah, wanted to go ahead and define it since we did mention it. Deconstruction is, quote, a Christian phenomenon where people unpack, rethink, and examine their belief systems. This may lead to dropping one's faith altogether or may result in a stronger faith. Um, and so just to, just to let you know, this is from Wikipedia. And though typically we don't use that as an actual source for definitions, this term is contentious right now. Um, So much so that if you try to search it, you will be bombarded with anti-deconstruction articles about how this is dangerous. Literally, like, deconstruction is ruining you. Don't listen to this. It is dangerous. Walk away from it. Um, And again, we're not going to talk about it here because, like I've said, there's a lot. Uh, But Mm -hmm. we will be talking about it in in our probably next episode. Uh, It's something to remember because it is a movement. I've seen it on social media. We talked about it with Dara. There's conventions. Uh, we'll talk about the origins of it and why it's important and what we're looking at. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason we put these off for so long. <laughs> there's a lot, lot to discuss. <laughs> there is. There is. So we'll have we'll have more. More. <laughs> coming your way. This is only about part one. <laughs> but yes, we would love to hear from you, from you listeners. Uh, if you would like to contact us, you can. Our email is stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram and TikTok at Stuff I've Never Told You. You can also find us on YouTube. We have a book coming out. Woo! You can pre-order it at Woo! stuffyoushouldreadbooks.com. Go Woo! do it. And thanks to everyone who's already done it. Yay! Yes. Yay! Um, thanks as always to our super producer, Christina, our executive producer, Maya, and our contributor, Joey, who's particularly helpful with these episodes. Oh, so good. Thank you, Joey. Yes. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com.